0: Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. A blazing fire under the body of the nitro-powered Toyota Camry of Alexis DeGioia, and this is as bad a fire as you're ever On this seen. episode, it's Dallas winners Ron Caps, and Greg Anderson. Erica Anders is your 2020 Pro Stock World Champion in stunning fashion. A funny car hero and a Pro Stock win leader. Scotty's out on Andrew at 1,000 feet. It's Scotty Policek for the first time in his career. This is the NHRA Insider. Tony Schumacher. Wow, what an appropriate way in this one. 28 10,000s at the strike, an instant classic final round. Hey everybody! Welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast. I'm your host Brian Loans. We are back for another race week episode as our final back-to-back series of races of the year. Uh, we have Dallas, of course. We're going to talk about Bristol coming up this weekend and a week off Vegas, a week off and Pomona to wrap it all up. And what a what a wild weekend we had in Dallas, Texas! It was um, it was a slog of a weekend. It was a long couple of days there. On Thursday, I was down working with Alan, calling the sportsman stuff and. Normally our hardcore Thursdays are, I'm not going to say easy days, but they're days that move along pretty well. Typically a lot of runs being made, all the sportsman cars getting out there to qualify and make their time runs. And uh, normally not like a 12-plus hour day, but that's what it ended up being on Thursday. And then Friday, I don't think we left the racetrack till about midnight. That was a whole evening of uh, calamity. As you saw, John Forrest had the big fire. Joe Morrison had a uh, what we thought was an engine failure, but really what it was was the engine shot the spark plug out or a spark plug out which then compromised the valve cover which then allowed a massive amount of oil to escape and ignite um put on a heck of a show and uh unfortunately it took forever to clean up but that was just the nature of the business um and it, you know through friday night was just was just a wild uh series of events even saturday i mean saturday was a great day but saturday was also no uh no short uh, no short day either and you know you talk about the action on the racetrack. We talk about the mental toll that the countdown takes on on competitors, and I think we certainly saw that on Sunday. The amount of whole shot wins and whole shot losses we saw on Sunday, you know, really did lend, um, in my opinion, anyway, lend a, a real credence to the idea of how much pressure is being exerted on our championship contenders to perform and. It is the nature of this sport that it is a momentary, you know, style of performance. You need to be, you need to be there in the moment. You need to be able to uh, leave on your opponent. You need to be able to outdrive them if, if the case may be. And uh, we just saw a lot of examples of, of maybe overthinking or considering or you know, just a millisecond mind wander on the starting line, and next thing you know, uh, you're three hundred late, and your competitor is going to leave. Uh, and uh and knock you out. Um we saw J.R. Todd of course double step his car and again he was trying to do what a good driver does is trying to be uh really on the chip and get rid of the rock and roll and as he said, he felt like the tree was long, and, and that's not a function of the starter. That's in the auto start. There is a variable built into that. When both cars are in pre-stage, the starter throws the switch, which then begins the auto start process. And then as soon as one car stages, there's seven seconds for the other car to stage or they are timed out. And then once both cars are in, there is a variation on how long it takes the tree to fire. And with the intense level of of consideration, the intense level um of of concentration being used in that starting line, you know, half seconds feel like minutes a lot of the times and and that's why we see people occasionally, uh, you know, whether they're gonna be late, whether they're gonna be red, whether they're gonna maybe double step. These are all things that happen in that real kind of moment of of absolute lockdown concentration. So um, It was a, uh, a highly entertaining race, of course, for Greg Anderson, who's going to be one of our guests today. It was a historic moment for him, collecting win number 98, officially getting him the title of winningest pro-stock driver of all time, second winningest professional category driver of all time, trailing only John Force. and now he's only two wins away from uh, the incredible century mark, which, um, which would move him into some, again, very elite company. When we talk about uh, national event victories and we talk about winning as drivers and we include everybody in there uh, frank manzo and dan fletcher are part of that conversation as well and uh they are uh, uh they're they're all amazing the small handful of people who have uh, approached this triple digit number are all incredibly gifted and talented we're going to talk to greg about that and ron Caps. Ron Capps, a nitro funny car, uh, has continued to make this thing interesting. Now the lead down to just 33, and it was Capps and Hagen in the final. So Hagen uh, didn't give up too much ground, but he did give up some. And 33 points is uh, less than two rounds of competition in qualifying. We have the qualifying points per session. That uh, that lead could shrink into the 20s during qualifying. And then you're looking again at a round and a little change. And we're going to talk to Ron Capps about you know, his feelings in 2021 versus his feelings in his championship season a few years back. Talk about how these uh, experiences kind of all hold some value to him and and talk about putting that cowboy hat on his head in Texas. In the top fuel category, uh, Justin Ashley, amazing performance. whole shot at his way through the second and third rounds, then winning at the final with a just a nail-biter. Identical reaction times between he and Steve Torrance. He runs down to the finish line just a, a, just a couple of foul ahead of the Capco car. So huge moment there for Justin Ashley he's still a ways back in the points but we cannot discount his forward momentum and the fact he has two races and then the uh the, the he has two races and then Pomona's a race and a race and a half effectively with uh with the points so uh if he can by some uh mir- not going really say miracle if he can by his own doing or by the doing of others and the help of others if he can make up say let's say 30 points this week if he can get it to 100 and then he can go to Vegas and he can get it to 80. I'm putting him in the hunt. I'm putting him in the hunt for, for a potential Pomona steal uh, in terms of a championship. But he does have to make forward progress over these next couple races. I think when we look at what people have to do and how they have to do it, uh, we start to talk a lot about what changes with strategy at this time of the year. And there will be that employed. We're going to talk to both Greg and Ron Caps about that as well. Let's look at Pro Stock Motorcycle for a brief second. Matt Smith has gained the points lead. And it is only by eight at this point, but it feels bigger than that. And, you know, Steve Johnson um, had, did not have uh, Jock Allen, his right-hand man, at the, this race because Jock had that uh, incident when he was towing home from Charlotte, which has put him out of commission for a little while as far as traveling. So uh, because of, you know, what he explained is really kind of a lack of experience on a crew, they made a, a basic mistake uh, in terms of electrical stuff on the motorcycle uh, and it would not fire. And so Steve had to push his bike off the starting line. A motorcycle that was, again, uh, the class of the field, as it has been so many times. And and really, this race in Bristol is going to be so fascinating for Pro Stock Motorcycle for a multitude of reasons. The first one being, they've never raced at Bristol before, ever. And let alone racing in Bristol uh, at any point of the year is challenging, the atmosphere is challenging. Usually, we're seeing three thousand or four thousand feet of density altitude. The surface is challenging. We're going to talk about this all weekend. The surface at Bristol is not the smoothest on the on the, the tour. In fact, it may be one of the bumpiest on the tour for motorcycle riders that depend on every thing being completely precise and everything being perfect going down the racetrack, uh, this is going to be a challenge for them. are really going to see who the great riders are out there dealing with not just the bumps, but a surface and a racetrack that they have not spent a lot of time at. If there's anybody that probably has an edge coming in, I'm going to guess Matt Smith has tested here before because Ricky Smith, his dad, is one of the legends of Bristol, has raced at Bristol a million times over the years, whether it was IHRA, NHRA, uh, whatever series he was running at the time. He's been there. So so Matt Smith has a resource at minimum in his dad, Ricky, and he may have um, a benefit in terms of maybe he's tested his bike there over the years and has some data to work off of. Steve Johnson really is going to need to do something this weekend to try to thwart any momentum that Matt Smith may have had. If Matt Smith goes on, wins Bristol, and extends the lead, this is not the type of guy who gives it back. And yes, we have seen the freaky, crazy occurrences happen over the years. That Gianna Salinas' win at Pomona a couple years ago comes to mind. Just an amazing day for her, an incredible victory for her and the Scrappers Pro Stock motorcycle team. But that is more the exception than the norm. So in the event that Matt Smith is able to extend this lead, then it may be curtains for everybody else. In the event that Steve Johnson is able to come into Bristol strong, prepared, and ready to fight, Now we got a big storyline on our hands. Maybe these two go to the final. Maybe maybe one guy, maybe Steve beats Matt in the final and takes the lead back by a handful of points. Either way, we're going to start to see somebody make a move for the positive and somebody for the negative, as that's just the nature of this business and what's going to happen with this handful of races left. We do not have Pro Stock Car at Bristol. They were originally slated to be there, and the Pro Stock category was moved on to the Charlotte race, the NFL-adjacent game. They wanted to be in front of that huge audience, and I don't blame them. So we have three professional categories this weekend, Top Fuel, Nitro Funny Car, and Pro Stock Motorcycle. So that's kind of a quick recap, a quick look back at Dallas. Um, You know, the race day there was... I want to say first round was pretty much according to script, Um, really other than, you know, Paul Lee busting his way through. Um, Not that we didn't expect that, but Paul, Lee's a good car and and he was able to uh, to get the job done in round one. He was the only non-playoff car in round two. Josh Hart, the only non-playoff car in round two of top fuel. And I keep looking at that thing thinking it is a playoff car because it runs like it and he drives like it and they act like it. So, you know, those are a few of the things going on Uh, in terms of news this week. It is going to be a massive week for NHRA based news. I'm making this show on the Wednesday before the Bristol race tomorrow, Thursday at 11 a.m. at ZMAX Dragway. There is going to be a press conference involving uh, Tony Stewart racing. Uh, Glenn Cromwell, president of the NHRA, is going to be there. It's been kind of released. No specifics have been given about what this press conference is going to be about. But uh, if Glenn Cromwell is going to be there. And they're doing it at a drag strip. And Tony Stewart is the featured newsmaker. I think we know what this means. News broke on Saturday at Dallas as well at the Texas Motorplex. Camry Caruso announced that she will be running pro stock full time in 2022. She'll be a rookie at the 2022 Winter Nationals. Um, This is a huge thing. She'll become the second ever full time pro stock female racer in NHRA history. And they're doing it. On their own. They're not aligned with Elite. They're not aligned with KB. They're not aligned with another of the established teams. This will be a family based effort. They will be using engines from a place called Titan Racing Engines, which you may have never heard of, but you have. Titan Racing Engines is formerly Gray Motorsports, and uh, there is a partnership that's been formed. The business was sold. And racers bought it. Uh, Most notably, Eric Latino and uh, Jim Whiteley are partners, as well as their four partners involved in the business. But those are the two most high-level names that you would know as NHRA drag racing fans. So they are back in the world of building pro-stock engines, which is tremendous news. And we'll talk a little bit about this with Greg, but, you know, not that he wants more competition, but... When we have another engine supplier to go with KB Elite, Frank Iaconio, the McGee Hayes, uh, and now Titan, that really that's that's five. And we can talk about Alan Prozinski building his own engines, that's six. Um, this is starting to look this is starting to look very different from what Pro Stock looked like a handful of years ago, right? When everybody had written Pro Stock off and sent it down the river, guess what? This category is adding cars, is adding engine suppliers, and I don't believe Camry is going to be the only name we talk about this offseason stepping into the world of pro-stock drag racing. On Thursday at Bristol, there's going to be a press conference with Toyota Racing, and Toyota Racing is going to be introducing new drivers to their lineup for 2021, or 22 rather, and this is big news in and unto itself. Uh, I'm not going to blow the surprise, I'm not going to wreck, or, and, and, I'm not going to speculate too heavily on what I think I know about this announcement, but uh, there will be a very, from what I understand, a very well-known top fuel racer will be added to the Toyota racing stable of factory drivers. It is going to be, um, it's going to be great. There is about 100 other rumors we can go down the road and talk about, too, but let's get on with the show. Our first guest on this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast is the winningest driver in the history of NHRA Pro Stock Eliminator, picking up his 98th victory, his sixth win in Texas just last weekend. Driver of the HendrickCars.com Camaro with support also from Summit Racing Equipment, Mr. Greg Anderson. Greg, how you doing, man?
1: I'm doing wonderful. How are you
0: doing, Brian? I'm doing really well. I don't know if anybody's doing better than you at this point, but uh, man, what a uh, what a few weeks, really, what a season it's been so far. When we talk about you know sustained success, we talk about a car that's been really brutally consistent, and you've been doing it all with some, I guess, some weight on your shoulders, trying to get this 98th win.
1: I guess, but you know what? It's it's still a good pressure, and, and I, I, I've said a million times: is it is it a distraction? You know, people ask me, is it a distraction to worry about this record? And I don't think it has been, because the simple goal is to win a damn race. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> right. you set the record, and, and you gain the most points. So I don't see a problem with thinking about it. So it turned out okay, and you uh, know, we won the race and got the 93rd win and got the point lead back. So, uh, you know, all good.
0: You know, I think one of the things that I, I thought was interesting, and it goes to what you just said, was – We see people get into these situations and not necessarily trying to win your 98th race, but trying to get to some goal or achieve something. And they almost deny that they're paying any attention to it. And I think the fact that you did embrace the fact like, of course, of course, I want to do this. You know, of course, I want to make this happen. I think that probably makes it a little bit easier on everybody. Right. Because, yes, you have to answer. Yeah. It seems like every other, you
1: know, when I got close to getting my 50th win, there was a long drive spell there and it was agony and agony and I couldn't get it done and you're thinking about it and you're thinking about it. And I think the same thing happened when we got to like number seventy five. It's like all those big milestones they were they were hard to get and, and, and there was always a lull, a stall in between. So I guess I looked at it a little bit different this time and go ahead and think about it. Go ahead and, and you know, plan on it, whatever you wanna call it. I really believed it was gonna happen because I just I've had such a great car all year. I've had so many chances, and and I kind of just almost know heading into every eventual race weekend that I'm going to have a shot this weekend to win. You know, you're certainly never a guarantee to win, but I'm going to have a car that's capable of winning. So that's been a good feeling all year long. And you don't have that every year, Brian. Yeah. It's it, it's fleeting and it's it's hard to get. And my guys have definitely found the sweet spot with this this uh, this hot rod here. And, and and like I said, every race I go to. They hand me a car that's got a great chance of winning the race, and it's up to me.
0: Yeah, you know, and and I look at the overarching kind of theme of your year with the you know the big addition of HendrickCars.com early in the season, which was, I mean, it's huge. It's been huge to have that name in our sport. Obviously, with what Kyle Larson's been doing in NASCAR, you guys finally win on the same weekend, right? You guys finally, finally get yourself coordinated on that's on that front. And I have to imagine that addition of the HendrickCars.com deal had to be. Helpful for all of the rest of this stuff to fall into place, because it's one thing to show up to the racetrack and and worry about winning and and completing that job. It's another thing when you have the business side of things to also worry about.
1: well, you know Brian, it's it's yeah like you say it's not only helpful and it and it helps you get to the racetrack and and be able to race, but on top of that, it's like could you sit back and could you imagine a better partnership? you know what <laughs> right. I mean it's not just not just somebody that came in at the last minute minute and bailed you out. And uh, you know, jump on the side of your car to help you out. It this is, if I, if you know, I thought I always had the very best sponsor in the sport in all the years we raced with Summit Racing Equipment, and how could it get any better than that? And, and then I find this combination here, and it's just i uh, so doggone proud. Actually, of both of them, of both the relationship with Summit and now with with Rick Hendrick and, and the Hendrick Cars Group, it's it's a tremendous group of people. It's a, it's a tremendously classy organization and it it all starts from the top with their quarterback rick hendrick just like our quarterback here at at kb racing ken black it it starts right from the top with classy people you know and and guys that that they're respected in the industry and and you never hear anybody say a bad word about them it's all positives that anybody you talk to about the hendrick group or certainly ken black it's just all positives And, and you don't get that with everybody you know everybody's always got something negative to say about somebody and i've yet to find anyone saying anything negative about rick hendrick or ken black so i'm a very fortunate guy brian i not only got you know good help on the side of the car i got what what possibly is the best possible scenario i could have ever dreamed of
0: you know we get to see some things uh you know me and tony in the booth our job we see our monitors we see all the different cameras typically when you've won races you're on the phone pretty quickly after the race. My understanding is that's usually Mr. Hendrick, right?
1: That is Mr. Hendrick. That is a fact. And, you know, it's, it's, it's such an honor. I've watched it on, on TV so long at the NASCAR races, you know, when they win a big race and, and they get out of their car and they get a phone from phone from Mr. Hendrick. It's like you feel like you're you're getting a call from the president of the United <laughs> States. It's pretty impressive. And that's exactly how I feel, you know, when it happens. And, and for it to happen the other day... On the same day, apparently, just as Kyle Larson was pulling into victory circle, yes. that's when we crossed the finish line and won our race. So, you know, they told him as soon as Kyle was pulling into victory circle that I had won too, and it was like, you know, he was the happiest guy in the world, and, and, and so was I. And to get that phone call, like I say, it's like getting a, a call from the president, for for God's sakes. It's, it's pretty doggone cool. It's, it's quite an honor.
0: You know, you talk about, um, you know, the respect uh, that that, you know, Hendrick cars and, and Rick Hendrick really has in racing. And, and I want to talk a little bit about your role, the, your larger role in pro stock, because when we look at this class a few years ago, you know, people had written this thing off. I mean, they were they were shoveling dirt over the top of this class. And, you know, you took a leadership role. Obviously, you know, Richard Freeman is involved in, in as well. And. Now we see a race a class of race cars. We got 20 of these things showing up on a regular, sometimes more than that. We have Camry Caruso coming in next year as is going to be the second full-time female uh pro stock racer of, of in the history of the class. We have another engine supplier coming in next year, which obviously it's Gray Motorsports now known as Titan. Uh this is a completely different category than it was a few years ago, and your legacy is going to be one of the guys that helped save this thing.
1: Yep. And and, and you know myself and and obviously Richard Freeman were we 're very proud of that that that's absolutely what it took it took drastic measures to you know bail the class out and, and basically save the class and, and put it on a, an upward trajectory and yes we 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 made some good decisions there there were tough decisions because yeah. you know all these years that we've been able to race we, we've had to are been able to just kind of focus on our program and, and what can we do to make it where we can win a race, you know, right here in KB Racing. And you have to completely, completely, basically ignore that and try and help everyone else as well as you possibly can to beat yourself. So that was a tough decision, but if we didn't make that decision, we wouldn't be where we are right now. So, you know, I think the only thing I'm more proud about, I'm certainly proud about, about doing that and getting all these young cats into the class the only thing I think I'm more proud of is if I can beat these young guys. Right. it's not that often anymore. Let me tell you, they're they're bad to the bone. They're fearless. But those days that you can finally beat them, it's a pretty cool feeling.
0: It, it is. It's an amazing thing to watch. And you know, to your point, you mentioned the youth, and and this is this is rapidly, as you well know, turning into probably the youngest professional category we have. I mean, Camry coming in next year, she's only 23, and we look down the lineup, we see a lot of young faces, which is. Which is cool because, you know, when I was a kid, every, every good sportsman racer, when I was a kid, they, they all wanted to race in pro stock. And then, you know, for whatever reason, we lost that for a little while. And now we look back and we see the Dallas Glens of the world, great sportsman racer coming up. Koretsky was a comp racer. We look at the Camry Caruso, great sportsman racer coming up. And it's like, damn, I think we've actually put this train back on the tracks to some degree as far as having a path forward into professional level drag racing for that sportsman racer.
1: Yeah, for sure. And, and you're right. That was always the dream. And, and, you know, the dream was was probably even a little different back then than it is now. Back yeah. then you had that dream, but you knew once you finally, if you were finally able to get your foot in the door, you know, you'd have some growing pains. You'd yeah. have to figure out how to, you know, to get a really good engine somehow, either build your own or, or, or you basically you, you had to build your own. Yeah. You couldn't really leave top shelf engines. So you kind of knew coming in that you were going to spend a little time struggling, you know. And it's different nowadays. These young guys, they can come in now and, and they can jump right into not only the best engine that that money can possibly buy, and the same exact engine that myself or Eric Ender's races. But you've got a car and a crew that are at the, the top level also, and, and, and making the same calls on you know Eric or my car, are making the calls on these these young guys' cars. So completely different than it used to be, and what an opportunity! But they're certainly making the most of it too. There, there's some talented dudes that are. Now they're jumped into this class and and uh, they're on display every weekend what they can do they think they're they're very very dangerous, Brian. let me tell you that it's 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 a handful to go up against them every week and you see what they can do
0: yeah, it's and it's and again it makes the, the thing so incredibly entertaining to watch I mean, it's uh I'm chugging maillockx watching from the booth. I can't even imagine <laughs> trying to actually participate out there but you know one of the things I wanted to talk to you about as well is when we look at um when we look at uh, what you've accomplished over the the overarching you know story of your career. I think it was, what, 52 starts before you got your first win, or 50, 52 starts. I don't know how many times you attempted and didn't qualify very early on, but when you got the first one and you realized how hard it was to get one of them was there any conception? You know, Bob Glenn at that point had eighty-five. I think he was probably still the class leader when you started, and Warren Warren may have run around him by then, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. But when you get that first one after struggling and struggling and struggling, is there any clue that you're going to even get to ten or twenty, let alone ninety-eight?
1: Absolutely not. The only thing I thought of was you know somehow, some way i got to prove to the world that I wasn't a one-and-done guy. If I could just get two, yeah. You know? I mean, if I could just find a way to get another one, then people couldn't couldn't put that label on me that he was just a, a lucky guy. He got lucky one time and a, a flash in the pan, whatever you want to call it, a one-and-done guy. So I just didn't want that. First of all, I didn't think I could win at all, and then we won that first one, and then it was like, can I at least get one more where I can't be labeled that guy that that's only won one time? So he was just a lucky dude, you know? So we certainly surpassed that, and... and uh, you know, went long, long, long ways down the road. So, it's been a very, a very cool, very fulfilling, very neat career that I've had. But honestly, you know, and and, and we went through a deal last week where I I actually got inducted into the yeah. North Carolina Hall of Fame, Motorsports Hall of Fame, right, and got a big stone in the sidewalk here in downtown Mooresville, right next to all these NASCAR guys. And I've always thought that you know these Hall of Fames aren't they for you know, guys that are either retired or, you know, God forbid, dead, right? So yeah. it was kind of a weird feeling. And I thought, well, are they trying to tell me something here? Do I need to step out of this deal at the time? But I just don't feel that way. And I've told the world, you know, when, when people ask me, when are you going to hang it up? I tell the world I'm going to hang it up as soon as I can't win anymore. Yeah. When I believe to myself that I can't go win a race, I'll be done. I'm not going to go just to, to show up and just to have fun, just to, to place or show if I can't win, I'll give it up. So the great news to me is, you know, even with all these awards right now, I don't feel like I'm at the end of the road yet. I feel I can continue on. I don't know how much farther, but I feel I'm not ready to give it up yet I can, because
2: I can still
0: win. You clearly can, and, and you can you continue to do just that. One of the things Jason Line has often said about you over the course of uh, your career and relationship with him is is how he's never met anybody that's, that's more competitive than you or more driven to succeed than you. And that all that comes from different places and different people, whether it comes from, you know, influences from parents growing up, whether it comes from the way you grew up. Where is it for you? As opposed to like when you said, I don't just want to be the one and done guy. I want to prove to everybody I can do this twice. Well, now you've proven to us that you can do it almost 100 times and yet you still show up to do it again. So where is that rooted in you, that that drive and that that kind of unwillingness to to give up?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's all the, the the great people that I've been able to work through all my career. Certainly started with my dad, and and then I moved on to uh, a great racer out of Minnesota by the name of John Hagan sure. who you know kind of was a uh, him and him and Warren kind of locked locked horns all the time up in the Minnesota, up in the Division Five area. So they were kind of the kingpins of Division Five and Pro Stock, and he was a great, great guy, great family guy, great values. Uh, another guy that that you just found nobody. That would say anything negative about. So uh, I've been very fortunate to be able to surround myself with good people all my life, and then certainly all the years with Warren. All the stuff I learned with him, you know, it, it's all priceless. And and I wouldn't be anywhere near where I'm at right now, or have any of the things I have, you know, and, and without all those people that I was surrounded by, or that I was able to work with for all my years growing up. So I, I guess when you grow up in Minnesota, you you kind of grew up with a. A pretty good work ethic anyway it's too damn cold up there to sit around you can't (laughs) sit still you freeze to death you got to keep moving I guess I learned that up there but you know uh, all that competitiveness and and, you know just the the willingness to to compete uh, I learned that with all the guys that I was able to race with so uh, I thank them all and uh, I, I like I say I wouldn't have any of the stuff I have right now if it wasn't for every one of those guys.
0: Kyle Larson uh and, and HendrickCars.com, they put together a cool video where he congratulated congratulated you on your ninety eighth victory. Uh who else did you hear from, maybe unexpectedly after after the ninety eighth win? I'm sure your phone sure. went into full meltdown, but were there any uh were there any text messages or calls you got that were like, Hey wow, that's cool.
1: <laughs> well that was certainly probably the coolest one, the one from Kyle. <laughs> that was a neat one. Didn't expect that. And that just goes to show you what a great group of Guys and gals, all these people that are associated with the Hendrick brander are, and it's right from the top on down. Every one of them is just class act, and they're great to race with. They're great to be along. I was feeling for, for a while there that you know Kyle was winning all these doggone races, and I just wasn't <laughs> holding up, holding up my end of the bargain. So to finally win on the same day as him. That felt pretty cool, and I was pretty proud of that, and, and, and to get that. That shout-out from him, that was pretty damn cool. So that was probably the top of the list right there. But, yes, I got a whole bunch of them, and I can't thank them all enough. its uh, It's been quite a ride, but I hope
0: the ride's not over yet, buddy. One last question before I let you go. A couple years ago, coming into Pomona, it's one of the most – Awesome things I think I've ever watched in, in drag racing is the only shot you guys had, you particularly, to try to get the championship, or I believe to help Jason to get it, was to try to get Erica eliminated in the first round. You went out there and you found your spot on the ladder and you you took your shot, came up a little short. That's just the way it went. It was an incredible story and one that, that electrified us for that first round of pro stock. There's an excellent chance you're going to be on the other side of that story this year because when we come down you guys only have two races left. You got Vegas and Pomona and when it comes down to the wire this tight people will do whatever they need to do to try to stop you. So I guess are you prepared to uh are you prepared to, to kind of be on the other end of that situation maybe? 100%.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I've said that that's the way it needs to be and every racer out there needs to do whatever they possibly can right till the,
0: right till the
1: last pitch, you know, right till the till, till, till the lady sings, till it's over you got to give it all you got, and that's what your teammates expect of you. That's what your sponsors expect. So, yes, I would expect no less. And know, uh, be prepared for it because I know, I know in the bottom of my heart, some ways, somehow, this deal is going to come down to the end of Pomona. It's not going to end early. It's going to come down to, you know, us sweating it out and, and, and gritting it out at the end of, end of Pomona. So that's the way it should be, and I guarantee that's the way it's going to be. And we'll see who can come through on top, but it's going to be great.
0: Amen. Greg Anderson, thanks for taking the time. I know you guys are always hustling down there. Enjoy your uh, weekend. I'm I'm not going to call it off because I know you're going to be living chained to the dyno and everything else, but enjoy your weekend where you can let your thoughts roam a little bit and enjoy, savor the fact that you are the uh, winningest driver in the history of this category, and it's been an incredible thing to watch, man.
1: Thank you very much, Brian. I really appreciate it.
0: All right. After a great conversation with Greg Anderson, the winner of Pro Stock in Dallas, we now change gears and, well, we throw the transmission out completely, move to the Nitro Funny Car category, and Dallas winner Ron Caps in the Napa Dodge. How you doing, Ron? I'm good, Brian. How are you? I'm good, man. Listen, two things. One, you you successfully survived the slide down your Funny Car body, because I think the last time you did that, you about broke your hip, so that was a win, and you got a <laughs> cowboy hat. Double win.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I got a warning from Tobler back when I used to do it. (laughs) He didn't want me getting hurt. But, um, you know, it's only appropriate with John Medlin being our assistant crew chief and doing the Eric Medlin slide. And that's really the whole reason I've I've done it in the past, just kind of a tribute to that great moment of of Eric, you know, when he won, I think, Brainerd. Um, So, yeah, and so far, you know, I'm trying to stay in shape so I can achieve that slide without hurting myself. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, yeah, we don't you don't have to put Crisco on the body. That's a good thing. If you gain too much weight, you got to grease the body up so you don't get stuck like a fat kid on a slide. So all, <laughs> it's all good. Yep. Man, what a race day! You know, this Dallas race was fantastic. I mean, it was crazy. Friday night seemed like it was never going to end. I think we all left the track at about midnight. Saturday was kind of crazy, but then Sunday, man, it was a throwdown. Like first round kind of went according to script, and then second round it was on. It was basically all playoff cars against each other.
2: Yeah, and I didn't really know all that was going on, which is crazy, um, until, you know, I get home and I watch your show and and kind of recap. Uh, You know, you get so engrossed in what's going on during the day, especially right now with the countdown and all the pressure, and so it's always fun to kind of recap it and re re rewatch the weekend when you've had a great weekend like that. Um, If you don't, like my St. Louis, (laughs) I didn't even want to watch anything, and I didn't want to be around anybody. I didn't want to talk to anybody, uh, especially racing, so... Yeah, what a crazy day. I mean, as a fan watching that show, um, especially if you watched it live, oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, it was just the racing was side by side, so great in every category. Um, you know, it uh I'm glad I didn't know all that was going on because honestly, we did a we won a couple of rounds without lane choice, um, and it really didn't matter, obviously. And uh that that is always a good thing for the fans.
0: Oh, it is. It is. And uh, we'll get to Bristol here in in a couple minutes uh, because that's a whole different kettle of fish that we're going to talk about. But as we kind of stay on the Sunday topic here, you know, when we look at what a championship-level team has to do, you've been there, you've won a championship, this is the type of moment you guys need to succeed in. That final round, not just for the points implications, but for all the mental stuff that comes along with it. Like, you had to stand in the ring with that guy, the guy you're chasing, the guy who's leading the points, and you had to beat him, and you did. And that's that's got to be just a huge deal for the team. But taking the points and all the other stuff away, there are these intangibles we have in any sport, and winning that round gives you guys some some feelings that you wouldn't have had otherwise.
2: Yeah, and, you know, it, it, uh, looking back, it was ironic that the interview I did with, I'm not sure it aired if it was just the track or on TV, but I did an interview with Amanda, I think, after second round, maybe. And uh, you know, I just talked about, because of St. Louis, I really felt like we left so much on the table uh, I felt like we had the best car and again, you never know what's going to happen. But I really felt like we shouldn't have lost the points lead and I, I just made a mistake. I, you know, my 27 years of driving, I don't know that I ever had. And I just, uh, it, it, it really motivated me, but I told Amanda, I said these moments and I've been through so many of them, uh, down to the wire where they are life changing maybe not at that moment in your career, but it's people on the team, team members, sponsors, there's, there's these little moments where I fought and big rounds, um, big moments in my life in a race car where, um, it's changed people's lives somehow. And you got to wonder when you're talking about, you know, looking back on your career, were, were you better and bigger than those moments, those huge moments, or were those moments bigger than you? And so, um, you know, I've always been intrigued by, athletes and and especially great athletes sure. in those moments um and on on that stage and so uh, you know those are the things that motivate me and so trying to make up for st louis was a big deal uh but um like i told amanda i just uh i've got so much confidence right now with this race called guido and madeline and all the guys on the team that it uh it's fun and, and it's got to be fun you know and they remind me how to have fun there was a great bowl beat song that was played as we rolled under the tower to come out and it was the warrior song. Oh yeah. That is a good
0: tune. Yeah.
2: Great tune. And they had great speakers there because of all the stampede uh, speed stuff. So as we're strapped in the car and we're waiting after they ran, I think pro stock in front of us and we're rolling under the tower, it was epic moment because my guys are, their heads kind of going up and down. They were digging the song and it's a great song, but, uh, as we rolled through there, that song stuck in my head through the burnout, and I was backing up, and I, it just it was a great, great feeling for me. So it, uh, uh, I hope they play that song every time before I get in the
0: car. <laughs> you know, I think your team, it really is a two-headed monster in the sense of, one, your level of experience, your championship, you've done this, you've climbed this hill before. And then the second half of that is the fact that the guys working on this thing probably have a little bit of a sour taste in their mouth with how their year ended last year. I mean, they were in it all the way to Vegas. They were in it all the way to the last race. And I think like anybody that comes that close, you almost feel like something got taken from you. And so when you have a chance to do it again, you're not going to make those same mistakes. You're not going to have those same slip-ups, what have you. And I'm wondering if there, if any of that, I'm not going to say conversation, but is there any of that feeling in terms of like, okay, like the. Last year, if it's come up at all, whatever. But but this is this is something we're going to close the deal on this year.
2: Yeah, you know it's funny how um, you go around and through my career, I've seen crew chiefs surrounded by team members, and I've been lucky to be around like Tober from 2012 until last year. Really, for the core of that team, they were all the same guys that were there that whole time. And I've noticed when I came and got hooked up with Greedo and Madeline and this team, this same scenario. It's a lot of the same people. Seem to follow Guido and and um, that longevity that you know away from the racetrack, i you run into my guys and they're together. Where a lot of teams are sick of each other, <laughs> working together and living together on the road. Yeah, you don't see them together, but these guys have this this cool bond, and um, I noticed it right away. And it's just kind of fit like a shoe right away with me and the team, and of course Guido and Madeline. So. Um, they, I've never heard them say it. Guido did make a mention, in which I forgot that they won that Dallas race last year with Beckman. Yes, um, and he mentioned it sometime during the weekend, and that that was just a, a little small talk. And I thought, wow, yeah, I forgot about that. And uh, sure enough, we end up winning again. But uh yeah, it's it's uh there isn't a whole lot of talk out of the guys. Now that's what I love about it, is uh they just they seem they noticed when I wasn't having fun and that's the cool thing. And usually I'm the one, if you've heard me in the past talking about patting people on the butt and, Yeah. hey man, keep it let's yeah, keep yeah. having fun and no matter what. So yeah, it was cool to have them kind of turn that around on me.
0: That is cool. And I wanna shift gears to Bristol, uh, because this is like literally uncharted territory man we're looking at a forecast on sunday that may top out at like 62 degrees may top out at (laughs) 62 degrees the first round it may be like 58 degrees and we've never raced at this place in the fall we've never raced at this place in in cold weather and then we throw the third variable in which we're gonna have a lot of conversation about on the show is that this place is treacherous in terms of the bumps and everything else. I don't mean treacherous in terms of driver safety. I mean trying to get down. So this, to me, is going to be the ultimate driver race of the year.
2: Yeah. yeah, you know, it's uh, you, you haven't heard a whole lot of talk about it. And it, it is a very, very tricky racetrack. Yep. And always being Father's Day weekend in June, you've got to negotiate more than just you know your crew chief setting up the car and then you stepping on the gas and getting it down to the finish line. And there's something to be said about these, you don't want a cookie-cutter type of racetrack. You want, you know, some nuances and little things to get over. Well, this track definitely has them. And the unique thing about this track when it was built is it's got the tunnel so the fans don't have to walk all the way around. They can come out of that huge grandstand and go right out of the track and into the pit area. It's a great thing. And when they built it, it was killer. Unfortunately, the track settles a little bit during the seasons. and, And what that's done is that tunnel of one part of the track, but that tunnel mainly, when the rest of the track settled, that tunnel did not. And so it's created a little bit of a jump, I guess. Yeah. It's a bump, but it's a jump. And I'll tell you one of the, and I can say it probably is, the gnarliest, most unearthing run I've ever made in a funny car was made when we had the laid back headers. And we went there and it was Friday night qualifying, and I went over that thing, and with the laid back headers, as as crazy as those cars were to drive, it hit that bump, and it lifted the front end until the injector came up, and I lost my vision of what was going on in front of me. And this is at 280 miles an hour at half track. God. And it carried the front end. You know, reminding me of the snake picture <laughs> back in the day with the front end on fire. Yeah. We ended up low qualifier, but the thing carried the front end so much further and higher out there. I was afraid it might try to blow over, and then just set it down like a nice airplane and just smoked it through the finish line and i got on the radio i, I lost my i lost everything i was my emotional it was such a wild ride and i'll never forget that so that being said cooler weather will take those nuances and they'll, they'll put a little band-aid on them and it's going to be a lot better racetrack you're going to go over those bumps faster which will make them better for the crew chiefs um but it's going to be pretty crazy like you said for the drivers and um yeah it's uncharted territory and i I've gotten to win there a lot, but uh, we'll see what happens. We're uh it's gonna be a lot of fun though, either way.
0: I went and pulled a bunch of super slow-mos from the 2019 race and and, and distributed them to the people that are on our production team. And because we had our production call yesterday and I wanted them to kind of watch these because it really, I mean, it's incredible to watch. Especially, you know, a top fuel car, is, the chassis is so long, it's, it's they start bouncing around like spaghetti. You know, you watch the front end and the front end is just dancing down there. But with your guys' cars, you watch the, you watch the front lip of the body and the injector and you watch how much it almost wants to porpoise its way down the racetrack at some points of this. Course, and at least from visual, the left lane seemed to be in these videos, anyway, seemed to be the rougher of the two. Is that your experience? Is that the case, or is it pretty much even both sides?
2: Oh, it definitely is. And that's the run I told you about that was in the left lane. Okay, so if they're, yeah, in, in the beers past, yes, it has been. Um, and again, it's crazy because a lot of these tracks that have had these issues, um, when it's cooler weather the tracks not getting the sun beaten down on it. And we see the temperatures cool off. Like we're going to see, uh, most of these tracks that have these issues like this, um, you won't see it as much.
0: That's interesting now.
2: Yeah. yeah but it could become where it's almost too cold and we've had these situations. Yeah. So as, as the weekend goes on, it's going to get colder. And I think you hit it on the head. Sunday is going to be completely different from the rest of the weekend. And, and we're going to see, we're going to see things we probably haven't seen in a while, but, um, That's where the confidence comes in, the Napa know-how, I brag about, you know, Guido and Medlin. You know, you hope that they can adapt. And any crew chief, you know, the successful ones are able to adapt to crazy stuff thrown at them. And um, and I I just try to do my job in the seat.
0: Yeah, I was going to say the same said for the drivers, right? I mean, we're going to see. This is not going to be, at least in my estimation, especially on Sunday, this is not going to be – a race where somebody goes low e t four rounds and just dominates everybody i don't care what class we're talking about. I think this is going to require once, maybe even twice that the driver you know intervenes <laughs> to get the car there first, which is I mean look it's the stuff that it's the stuff that makes it very entertaining for us to watch. I think it's the stuff the fans love. the more the more we see your input in that race car, I think the more people lean ahead in the seat it's just the nature of the business.
2: Yeah, you know, on the top of that, Brian, it's the, the cool conditions are the great equalizer with nitro racing. Um, yeah. You know, it, it, these teams that are part-time teams or maybe don't don't think sometimes they can run with teams, especially when they come to tricky conditions. You know, these conditions, you throw everything at it, and usually it sticks. And and I've said it before in years past: the, the most dangerous cars in the countdown are the ones that either are not in it or were in it and not anymore and feel like they are just going to go into test mode. And yeah. they're just pissed off because the attention <laughs> on the TV show is only on the people <laughs> going for the championship and not on them. And I've, I've been there. I'm like, let's go ruin some days. And that's what you're going to see. So, um, you're going to have to negotiate the track. You're going to have to negotiate some teams that you don't know. They're, it's going to be almost like they're, they're not the usual car that you're running. So, um, as we go on, it's going to get trickier and trickier, but this weekend, uh, you know, that all with the track and with the competitors and all that going on is going to make it for a, a very fun weekend for the fans.
0: You know, you mentioned, uh, you know, the tension, the pressure, all that kind of stuff, and, and to me, Sunday on Dallas was really the, the, first, the first very clear indicator we've seen about people pressing, about the pressure on people's shoulders, about that moment of, as you mentioned earlier in this interview, the, the big moment of stepping up and delivering when the spotlight's on or, or it's tripping or tripping when the spotlight's on you. We saw the amount of hole shots we saw across all categories was mind boggling on Sunday, including yours. I mean, it's uh it was an incredible way for you to finish that race, but I just want to talk about to your experience was Sunday the most heavy day on your shoulders in terms of, okay, this is very real now. Obviously the countdown, you get seven races, but Visually, it seemed to me that everybody was feeling it a little bit more in Dallas than they had even in St. Louis or Charlotte or Maple Grove
2: Yeah, you know and and the fact that the lanes there wasn't a whole lot of difference in the lanes Um, You know, it's intriguing to me when John Forrest and he talks about all this deep stage and stuff And I truly and I told him this the other day. We've had some some pretty interesting conversations being friends that we are for a long time and I don't think he's as bad as he says he is and he's got a deep stage. He talks about everybody I, I think if he didn't worry about that, I think he's as good as anybody else. I, I think he talks a big game about it. he's lost his edge and he's got to roll it in and But I think overall as and I used to do this as a young driver when I drove for snake, and I you know you're a paid a hired gun, I guess you'd call it. You know the reaction times that showed up on the TV and in national dragster were more important when you were a hired gun back then. Now the bigger picture is you don't want to lose lane choice. By a couple of thousands because you rolled it in deep the round before, and that I think the fans are slowly learning because you guys are educating more on the TV show. But it's uh, I can I can tell you that there's a quite a few drivers that have lost races and a chance to win a race, myself probably included this year. But I've gotten smarter about it. But it probably lost more races and a chance to win an event because you rolled in a little more you lost in lane choice and you happen to be at a racetrack where maybe the lane choice was a little more important than some tracks um and so that's the bigger picture and that's the maturity and that's just the sacrifice sometimes you got to make and let me tell you every time you can ask any driver you're rolling up to get ready to run the thoughts that go in your head while you're waiting there's an oil down whatever it's you're, you're fighting to get these thoughts out of your head but they're coming to you and you're like, what am I going to do? Am I going to go in first? Or am I going to last? Am I going to trick this guy? Am I going to play a game? Am I going to go right in? You know, those little things are all constantly going on in your helmet. So um, I think the fact that those lanes were so equal in Dallas, it really made for sort of evening things up. And I was just motivated. Uh, you know, I just was on a mission and uh, I hope I can keep that up. You know, you, you live by the sword and you die by the sword yeah. and, you know it's coming where you're gonna lose one on a whole shot eventually but you just try to stay uh, stay to where you can rise to the occasion every time and that's that's the trick is just coming together you know having a car that wins for you sometimes when you you're not as good at the tree and then vice versa when you can win it and your your car supposedly was a little slower um that's a huge moment but that's that's the teamwork we always talk about
0: yeah and i agree with you a hundred percent your opinion uh, on John and and I think I think John has talked himself into something that isn't necessarily real and and obviously you know he's and everybody's got the right to do what they need to do to try to, try to win the race but I feel I do feel like he is he is almost convinced himself of of a negative thing he's convinced himself that he can't hang when. He's not really giving himself a shot to try to hang in terms of in terms of not you know not shoving the thing in or doing or doing what he needs to do to go into the guerrilla warfare tactics up there. And listen, uh, it's interesting to watch, I'll tell you. And and you know, whenever my phone rings on Monday and I have the no caller ID come across the top, I know who's calling
2: <laughs> because <laughs> oh, me too. Yep, oh, no, that, that's funny. It's, I know yeah. it's not
0: a telemarketer. I know it's going to be hey. This is force. Well, here we go, John. And so it's it, listen. It is what it is. I always feel the phone calls because because what the hell? It's John Force. But yeah, I, I, again, it's what makes him and everybody else so fascinating out here. I think you know when when you win a final round against a Matt Hagen, perform to the level you did because I, I do, and I think most people do. Put put Hagen as a, almost like a benchmark driver out there. I put you Hagen in, in height really as a as a benchmark kind of. This is what real is in terms of. What is a true reaction time? What is a true average? Because really, the, between the three of you, on rare occasions, you'll do what you got to do. But between the three of you, pretty honest stagers across the board.
2: Well, yeah, you just try to be. That's part of being, you know, I guess being a successful driver in our sport for sure. And I've told this story many times and probably you, you just You could put a Chase Elliott in a 10th place car in NASCAR and you could probably get that car. He could probably get that car to 5th or 6th place. In drag racing, we I can't make my car, if it's a 390 flat right. run it's going to make, I can't squeeze a 388 out of it. Um, I can certainly make it a 398 <laughs> by not doing things right and getting it out of the groove and little things like that, but yeah. we we can't make that car any better. Uh, so the key is to not let the car be any worse and be as consistent as possible so that Guido can make the call every time. I, the, the most biggest compliment you can get in nitro racing is... Never have the crew chief even mention the driver as far as worrying about any variable. Yeah. And that's that's the biggest one, from Roland Leong to Ace to Tim Richards to, to Tobler to Guido. I mean, I've, I've always complimented, uh, tried to anyway, to not have uh, where you hear some crew chiefs go, yeah, well, I'm going to do this with a car, but shoot, my driver, he did a longer burnout, and then he took longer, and he backed up differently, and he burned more fuel doing this. And that's just what you don't want to do. So... Nitro Racing, you know, you just want to be a machine, I guess, and go up and try and do the same thing every time. And, and that's the most confidence you can have is when a crew chief just says, I don't worry about what's going on with the run with my driver. I can go up and do my thing, and I, he will take care of it from there.
0: Yeah, it's awesome, and that's uh, it's a it's a point well made. Well, this weekend is going to be uh, one for the books, man. I'm, I'm excited for the fact that I love going to Bristol because the place is just phenomenal to be at, um, and I'm loving the fact we're going there now because – I mean, it has the potential to be just a world class uh, goat rope on Sunday in the most entertaining of ways. For me, maybe not for you, but for me. So, good luck this weekend, man. Look forward to uh, look forward to seeing you out there. And it is a big week of news this week, and uh, I think it's gonna be I think it's gonna be a much bigger several weeks of news, but. Uh, there's a press conference, as we all know, on Thursday with uh, with Tony and Leah. There's As we're making this show today, there's going to be an announcement a couple hours from this point that you and I are talking that some DSR is going to break some news. So, uh, yeah, keep your head up, man. It's going to be an interesting few weeks.
2: Yeah, yeah few weeks, a couple months. <laughs> it's going to be crazy. And uh, uh, a lot of us have known what's, kind of what's been going on, so we're kind of waiting for the fans to hear. And it'll light up the message boards, that's for sure.
0: Buckle up, baby. See you at a racetrack on Sunday. Thanks, Ron.
2: You got it, Brian. See you, man.
0: And that brings us to the end of this episode of the NHRA Insider. Love talking to both Greg Anderson and Ron Caps, two guys that uh, not only got it done in Dallas, but two guys who are in excellent position to hoist championship trophies at the end of this 2021 NHRA Camping World season, which has three races left, two for pro stock, because they're not going to be competing in Bristol, but three for the likes of Ron Caps and the rest of the Nitro drivers. What a week we have shaping up here for news. And as this show is being completed, the rumors swirling that the announcement coming from Don Schumacher Racing today in a couple of hours from this point I'm speaking to you is that Tony Schumacher will be returning full time to Top Fuel Drag Racing in 2022, which would be, uh, if true, uh, would be a monumental announcement coming Um, uh, on the precipice of what promises to be another monumental announcement on Thursday with the press conference um, of unnamed description as yet of Tony Stewart and Leah and Tony Stewart Racing uh, in Charlotte. So we're going to find out what that's about on Thursday. But on this Wednesday, um, uh, that's the rumor. We'll find out in a couple of hours from this point if that is true. And if it is, that means another full-time top fuel car added to the mix with I'm hearing a couple more coming, some names coming back in as well. So um, boy, oh boy, what a what a fun time of the year. Certainly with this is good news that is coming with additional cars and I don't know, maybe an additional team is what we're hearing coming out of Charlotte tomorrow, is in fact true. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Insider. I certainly have a feeling that we're gonna have a whole lot to talk about next week. And by the time we get there, you'll know just as much as I will, and we'll have become we'll have both, all oh, I should say, watched a very entertaining race at the Thunder Valley Nationals in Bristol. Qualifying Friday evening on FS1, and then final qualifying coverage on Sunday afternoon, leading directly into our elimination show. Go to NHRA.com for the air schedule of this Thunder Valley Nationals, and you can check it out also on NHRA.tv. It's going to be wild. It's going to be woolly. It's going to be bumpy. It's going to be cold. It's going to be Bristol, baby. And I'll talk to you next week after it all shakes out. Thanks for listening. I'm Brian Loans.